0: You're listening to a Centro Church Podcast. We're continuing our series of Pastor John started last week. Last week we looked at Bruce Almighty and a couple of lessons from that. We're going to look at another movie tonight. But before I, I get into the movie, I want to dive into Scripture. We're going to be looking at one Scripture tonight, or one key passage of Scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. And it's the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, uh, you know, the guy that pretty much saw most of the church come to pass, and certainly we are here because of the influence that he has. But in this passage of scripture, Paul lets us into his secret, he lets us into his modus operandi, how he operates, how he, as an apostle, moved throughout city, and how he, as an individual, interacted with people in such a manner to bring about the gospel. And the scripture, as I said, is found in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's all good. I'll, I'll read it. We uh, Chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. And he says this, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew. "'to bring the Jews to Christ. "'When I was under those who follow the Jewish law, "'I too lived under that law, "'even though I am not subject to the law. "'I did this so that I could bring Christ "'to those who are under the law. "'When I was with the Gentiles "'who do not follow the Jewish law, "'I too live apart from the law "'so that I can bring them to Christ. "'But I do not ignore the law of God, "'I obey the law of Christ. "'When I am with those who are weak, "'I share their weaknesses.' For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everybody, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything I can to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not shadowboxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to, those, to others, I myself might be disqualified. At first read, this scripture might seem like it's in two parts. There's Paul and he's talking about how he would use his position, his influence, to influence people that are around him. He says, when I am with the Jews, I acted like a Jew. I was under the Jewish law. When I was with the Gentiles, I did not obey the Jewish law. He's, he's talking about that, but then he moves on into a, a a sport analogy. He moves on to an analogy that talks about running a race. It talks about running and, and, and not shadowboxing and training his body. So it, it, at first reading, it almost looks like it's two verses. But I, I think it's providence and I think that it is deliberately written in such a way that one should lead to the other. That the way that we live, the way that we interact, the way that we move, the way that we speak should be like an athlete. It should be like somebody that's trained. And so I'm going to read the two in in different parts, and then we're going to get into the movies. 19 to 23 says this, Even though I am a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people, to bring many to Christ. When I'm with the Jews, I, I live like a Jew. When I was under the law, I lived under the Jewish law. When I'm with the Gentiles, I do not follow the Jewish law. I live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. And then he goes on this track, 24 to 27. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. And then moving down, he goes in 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I want my witness to be that of an athlete. I want the way that I speak and I interact with people and I move around people to be so disciplined that it is almost like a professional athlete. And I'm not talking about being fake. I'm talking about being genuine, but being deliberate in how we actually live deliberate in how we speak, deliberate in how we walk, deliberate in who we talk to, how we talk to them, what we talk about. It needs to be deliberate if we are serious about this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're serious about the good news of Jesus Christ, then we as a people need to be disciplined in how we interact with others. I want to look at a movie tonight made in 1993, so I apologise if the clips are a bit fuzzy. But it's, it's a, a movie directed by Steven Spielberg and probably one of the greatest movies. Uh, it, it's definitely my top 10 greatest movies of all time. But I will tell you this, a disclaimer, it's not one to watch with the kiddies. Uh, if, you, if you go home and watch this with your kiddies, yeah, not a good idea. Uh, this movie is a great movie, but uh, due to the nature of what it is trying to portray, don't watch it with kids. Because it, 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 the way that it is portrayed is so real to communicate an effective Uh, to to communicate effectively just what happened. The movie is Schindler's List. And I do apologise, I am going to give away so many spoilers tonight, but it is definitely worth a watch if you're over 15. Uh, It's a movie that I don't think you can watch without crying, when you truly actually grapple and understand what the Jewish people went through in the Holocaust. Um, So in, in the Holocaust, six million Jews lost their lives. Six million Jews were exterminated. And just to give you some context, by the time that the war was over, if it had have been Australia, there would have only been 900,000 people left. And to give you a bit of an image, it would mean that our population would have only been up to 15. There would have 900,000 people under the age of 15 lived in Australia at that point in time. So could you imagine a whole nation wiped Out, there would have been literally nine hundred thousand people living in Australia, just to put it in a context where we live. But it highlights this movie. I love it because it highlights man's uh, man has two proclivities. They can go towards depravity, or they can they they can actually triumph in humanity. And, And so it it highlights that we always have a choice. We can move from humanity, or we can go to depravity. But it happens because we're deliberate. We have to be deliberate. And so the title of my message tonight, based on the movie Schindler's List, is Who is on Your List? who is on your list at the start of the year so many people will make lists lists of things they want to achieve with finance lists of things they want to achieve with relationships lists of things they want to achieve with education but can i ask you what is on your list in terms of sharing the good news of the gospel of jesus christ is it on your list is it there is it where does it rate where does it rank on your list because if we actually are serious about the gospel then we need to be people that have that on our list. So tonight, title of my message is who is on your list. Let's go to the first clip.
1: right place. How are you doing? Goodbye Jews! Goodbye Jews! Goodbye, Jews! Goodbye, Jews! Goodbye,
2: Jews! Goodbye, Jews! Today is history. Today will be remembered. Years from now, the young will ask with wonder about this day. Today is history, and you are part of it. Six hundred years ago, when elsewhere they were put into the blame for the Black Death, Kazimierz the Great, so-called, told the Jews they could come to Krakow. Yeah, right. mm. They came.
1: Not
2: that fast. They trundled their belongings into the city. They settled. They took hold. They prospered. In business, science, education, the art. They came here with nothing. Nothing. And they
1: flourished.
2: For six centuries, there has been a Jewish cracker. Think about that. By this evening, those six centuries are a rumour. They never happened. Today's
0: history. So two clips there. Essentially, One where a wealthy Jewish family is being moved out of their house and they're being moved into the, into the ghetto that was in Krakow and they're being pelted with animal feces, with children yelling at them, goodbye Jews. And then there's another clip where the commander, the German commander is saying that they're going to be part of history. They are literally going to wipe out the Jewish population of Krakow and uh, and how does how does a people how does a nation get to that point? How does somebody get to that point where they can they can judge somebody and condemn somebody so much that they, are, they, they put themselves above them so much that they 're willing to wipe them out and not even batter an island and, and, and for me that 's such a sobering and a humbling thing is that humanity can actually get to that point, that humanity can actually lower itself to such a point where they can put themselves over a people based on their ethnicity, based on their class, based on their social structure, to to be able to justify in their minds and in their hearts a complete annihilation of a person. And, And one thing for me is that we are only one step away from that. We're only one step away from that at any point in time and just a bit of historical context. So by the time that this is happening... Germany had had gone through one of the greatest depressions uh, in in terms of European history, one of the most horrendous uh, depressions in terms of economic hardship, in terms of social hardship, where people were on the poverty line, people were starving, but they literally pulled themselves out of that hardship by their bootstraps, and Germany at this point is actually a fairly wealthy society, Uh, and there's a lot of wealthy businessmen, there's a lot of wealthy people who are doing well, but in that, from the process of pulling themselves out of economic hardship to the to the point where they were wealthy, an idea was planted in their minds, an idea was planted in their hearts that Jews were sub-citizens, they were sub-people, they were a sub-race and somehow that they were lesser than other people. And so even though the German people had, had overcome incredible odds, there was an idea that was planted in their minds that they were better than this race of people. And, and so the idea that was planted was an a, a, idea of rampant suspicion and, um, and and so the Germans who had become so focused so fixated on building themselves up had actually neglected the fact that they were harboring anti-humanitarian ideas. They were harboring horrendous thoughts towards another people. And and, and my concern over my life and for our lives is that when when we're so focused on something, when we're so focused on, on putting our own agenda forward, what ideas are being planted that we don't even subconsciously know are being planted? You, you can't have a, you can't have a 10 year old girl screaming at Jews, throwing feces at them in, 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 when it's, when it's all smooth sailing. There has to be something that, that's happening under the surface for that to actually take hold and take root. And, and, and here's what I, I'd put it to you. It, it's a spirit of apathy. It's that the German people had become apathetic. It means that they, they didn't care about that. They were more focused on, on economic advancement. They were more focused on their own uh, their own business, their own family, that they had become apathetic to the needs and the wants of the people around them. And what does apathy mean? It simply means to not care. Apathy in itself is not necessarily an evil thing, but left unchecked, it can become an evil thing, and it can allow evil things to take root. And we as Christians, and I'm talking if you're a follower of Christ here, if you're not, you're more than welcome. Please, thank you so much for being here. But if you're a follower of Christ, the most dangerous position that we can be in is apathetic. Not caring. Oh well, that's somebody else's job. I'm look. I'm just. I'm a tradesman. I'm going to get my electric apprenticeship. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get a couple of houses, and it's all good. But you can't. You can't shut off. You can't be apathetic to the things of God. And 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 while I would venture to say that the German people didn't necessarily hate the Jews, I, I believe that that idea was planted, but. I believe that the apathy that they displayed enabled that idea to be put into their minds and into their hearts. And here's my first point, is that apathy leads to atrophy. Apathy leads to atrophy. And, and what is atrophy? Atrophy literally just means that you can, your muscles disintegrate. Your muscles aren't able to lift. They, they don't have the same ability. Uh, somebody that's in hospital or, or, or in, a, in, be, in bed for, for months on end, their muscles literally atrophy, which means that they shrink and they just, that they fall away. And, and so what had happened is that the apathy of the German people had atrophied their humanity to a point where they were able to shun, the Jewish people and and we as Christians cannot be apathetic because if we're apathetic then our our muscles of sharing the gospel of sharing of reaching out become atrophied And, and that's why Paul says that he has to train his body like an athlete so that it doesn't atrophy. You see how the two relate. Paul goes that I became all things to all men, and then he goes into a physical analogy so that I have to go and train my body. I have to train myself so that I don't become atrophied to the things of sharing the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. See, apathy leads to atrophy. And the most dangerous point, the most dangerous part is that, the most dangerous thing is that we can become apathetic. And, uh, you know, if we want to be people that are effective, we need to have a spirit of empathy. The opposite of apathy is empathy in this regard. And, uh, you know, one trait that I notice in church life is that, you know, when things are good, when things are sailing well, we can become so focused on our personal, uh, of our personal needs of God, like God give me this, God give me this, when sometimes we actually need to look above that and see the needs of other people. We did this thing a couple of years ago as a church, and I'm not having a dig at anybody here, but where we went through a test to see what your skill set was, to see where you could like where you would best fit in terms of of serving, and, and this is not not a dig at anybody, but everybody wants to be a pastor or a prophet. Everybody wants to be a pastor or a prophet, and uh, and, and, and sometimes we're, we're focused on well, you know, I, I just we're focused on defining ourselves. We're through a, t- a list of, of, of check boxes that give us an idea of, of how we operate and how we roll, but here's the, here's the best test: Can you speak? Can you impact? And can you go and reach people? If you have all of those faculties, that's the test. You're called to reach out to people. You know, imagine a whole room full of prophets. My gosh, we wouldn't get anything done. Um, imagine a whole room of pastors. We definitely wouldn't get anything done. Um, you know, but, but imagine a whole world of evangelists. Could you imagine that? A whole world of people reaching out to those around them. You know, and, and, and that, I believe, is the heart of Christ. Matthew nine thirty seven and 38 says this. This is Jesus talking. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more people, Pastors, more prophets, more workers. More workers into his fields. Let's go to the second clip. Hello.
1: Um, Mr. Mr. Sarkovic wants to speak to the heritage director. Yes. He won't see you. Factory is a haven. They say you are good. Who says that? Everyone. My name is Regina Palma, not Elsa Krause. I've been living in Krakow on paper since the ghetto massacre. My parents are in Boashov. Their names are... Hannah and Jakob Perlmann. They are older people. They are killing older people now in Boishov. They bury them up in the forest. Look. I don't have any money. I. I brought these clothes. I'm begging you. Please. Please bring them here. I don't do that. You've been misled. I ask one thing, whether or not a worker has certain skills. That's what I ask, and that's what I care about. My father is an importer, not a metal worker. Such He'd activities get 50 are 50 illegal.
0: You to to will not interrupt me, him, Miss father.
1: Cry, and I will have you arrested. I swear to God. <laughs> People die. It's a fact of life. He wants to kill everybody? Great! What am I supposed to do about it? Bring everybody over? Is that what you think? Send them over to Schindler. Send them all. His place is a haven, didn't you know? It's not a factory. It's not an enterprise of any kind. It's a haven for rabbis and orphans and people with no skills whatsoever. You think I don't know what you're doing? You're so quiet all the time. I know. I know. Are you losing money? No, I'm not losing money. That's not the point. It's not the point. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to me. You have to understand. Goethe is under enormous pressure. You have to think of it in his situation. He's got this whole place to run. He's responsible for everything that goes on here. All these people. He's got a lot of things to worry about. And he's got the war, which brings out the worst in people. Never the good, always the bad. Always the bad. But in normal circumstances, he wouldn't be like this. He'd be all right. There'd just be the good aspects of him, which hes <laughs> a wonderful crook. A man who loves good food, good wine, the ladies making money. Killing.
2: He can't enjoy it. Tobiaski told me the other day somebody escaped from a work detail outside the wire. Gert lined up everybody from the missing command's barracks. He shot the man to the left of Biesky, the man to the right of him. He walked down the line shooting every other man with a pistol.
1: 25. What do you want me to do about it? Nothing, nothing. let just talking. Perlman.
2: Perlman.
1: Husband and wife.
2: Jacob and Hannah Perlman.
0: My second point is this your greatest mission field is where you are. Your greatest mission field is where you're sitting. You see, what what that clip didn't show is that woman had been bugging Oscar Schindler for months. Trying to get a, a meeting with him, trying to have that conversation, and, and 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 just to give you a bit of context, is that the the Jews that Schindler had been looking after had got a reputation of being well treated than the other Jews in the work camp, and 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 Oscar Schindler had actually. Unknowingly, via his accountant, created a bit of a haven for these Jews to actually escape punishment and escape the hard regime of the guards. And, and my question for you is, how many people are waiting outside your work office, your school group, your friendship group, your family, knowing that you have a haven, knowing that you are good? How many people are, are, are waiting outside your office, wanting that meeting, wanting to have that conversation, because you're there? Your greatest mission field is where you are. It's not necessarily in Cambodia. It's not necessarily in Africa. Your greatest mission field is where you are because that's where you have access. And Oscar Schindler says this, you know, I'm trying to run a business here. I'm trying trying to run an enterprise here. But, but he didn't understand that there was something deeper going on. There was something bigger at play. There was something more that he could be a part of. And, and I don't know what you do. I don't know what your, what your occupation. But there is something bigger at play than just... Whatever it is that you do, carving wood, putting up houses, it doesn't matter. There is something bigger at play. And and, and there are people that are potentially looking at you going, there's something about that person. There's something about the way that they live. They live as though they've got a haven to be able to go to. And see, this was a turning point for Oscar Schindler. At that moment, he realised that he had an opportunity to impact more than just his business. He had an opportunity to impact more than just his family. And there are people in this city that are knocking on the door of your family, of your office, of your work group, of your school group, of your university group, that are wanting to come into a haven. They are wanting to know the eternal and great value of knowing Christ And, and see, you know, he says to his accountant, Itzhak Stern, he says, you know, well, you know this, this is supposed to be a business. And Itzhak Stern says, are you losing money? He goes, that's not the point. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to me. And the truth of the matter is, it can sometimes be dangerous, not maybe in terms of your life in terms of the, the, uh, an attack on your life, but certainly it can be in danger, dangerous in terms of your, uh, your standing with people. It can be dangerous in terms of your friendship group. They might be like, well, how, why are you talking to that person? That person doesn't necessarily fit our socioeconomic band. It doesn't. You know, we don't really associate with those people. But the truth of the matter is that you might have been placed there so that somebody can see that you have a haven to be able to go to. And, and I think... Sometimes we over it a lot. Like I just didn't feel that God put them on my heart to go and share the gospel with them. And, you know, I just, I prayed to God for 17,000 hours and he didn't reveal this person in a prophetic dream that I need to go and share my faith. You know, we, we make all, all kinds of excuses, but but we need to get to the stage where we Know that we have a haven. We know that we have something that people want. We know that we have something that people need. And and that is what we are called to do because I never, ever want to get to the stage. That Oscar Schindler finds himself at the end of the war. He finds himself in a position where uh, well, the realization that he had in that office, it, it, it comes to fullness. And in this last clip, we kind of see just how desperate he became. Let's look at this clip.
1: From the Talmud it says whoever saves one life saves the world entire. You have no idea If I just there will be generations Because of what you did I didn't do enough You did so much This car Good, what about this car Why did I keep the car Ten people right there Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for it. At least one. You would have given me One. I could have done one more person, and I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: could have got one more person. My last point is that there is a point of too late. There is a point where it's too late. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realise that my life has just been the accumulation of experiences and stuff. I want to get to the point where, like what Oscar Schindler experienced in the very real term of saving somebody's life, I want to make sure that my life counts for people knowing the eternal love and person of Jesus Christ. And uh, you know we can get caught up in all kinds of stuff, and we can we can agree or disagree on on many things. But but one thing can we all agree on? And this is that we live in a world that needs Jesus Christ. And uh, you know we we can we can agree and disagree about all kinds of verses and scriptures. But the truth of the matter is, we live in a world where people actually need to experience the love that Christ has to offer and experience Him as their Lord and Saviour, and and all that other stuff falls away. All the other stuff just falls away because there is a point where it's too late. There is a point where we don't have the opportunity to do that anymore. For Oscar Schindler, it was the end of the war, but for us, it's the end of our life, and I don't want to look back and think that, geez, if I just had have done that, I could have got one more. If I just had have opened my door, I could have got one more. If I hadn't have just stayed to me and mine and this is is mine and and, and please don't interfere with what I've got, we could have seen more come to know who Jesus is. And I never want to look at what I have and have it overshadowed by who could have been influenced by who could have been impacted, by who could have had a real encounter with Jesus. And, and, and there's, a, there's a part in the movie, and I didn't want to show it because we're right, we've run out of time, but there's a part in the movie and it says, it's, it's, a, it's an interaction between Oscar Schindler and the German commandant, a man by the name of Amon Goerth, who was hanged for his crimes against humanity. But he had this conversation with Oscar Schindler and he says, Oskar Schindler is, is petitioning to be able to buy a couple of hundred Jews and, and bring them into his factory. And he says this, he says, you know what? Uh, the German officer says this, he goes, what is a, what's a life worth to you? What's a, what's a life worth to you? And, and, and Oskar Schindler, he, he, he's a bit perplexed, but it was a loaded question because he wanted to up the price. But here's my question to you, what's a life worth to you? What's a life worth to you? What's somebody's salvation worth to you? Is it, is it worth maybe giving up half an hour of your coffee to be able to have a conversation with somebody that doesn't necessarily fit your social echelon? Is it, is it, is it being able to open up your group There needs to always be an extra seat at the table. There needs to always be an an empty seat in that connect group. We can't be closed off to people because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We can have the greatest sound system. We can have the best air conditioning. We can have the best building, but it's all for nothing if we're not reaching people, if we're not touching people. And you know, Oscar Schindler said, if I could have only had one more and I don't want Centro Church, our motto to be, well, there was room, but we didn't really reach out. You know, we we, 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 we had a good, th- we had our friendship group and it was awesome. We had some great times. We had some great memories. I'm, that's, not what our, that's not what we should be about. We should be about saying, look, I'm going to lay down the cost so that people will know who Jesus is. Thank you for listening to this podcast.